Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Rob's Records, Femme Fatale. Sweet little Indian girl 
The opening song was Cowboy Movie by David Crosby from his solo album, If I Could Only Remember My Name. It has a certain feel of it should, should have been included in the film Easy Rider. I mean, even though the film was filmed before the album was released, but anyway, you, you get the idea. Do check out the, the solo album. I think it's one of David Crosby's finest solo albums. I mean, he was obviously in lots of bands before. Do check him out. Obviously, there's the Wikipedia page. Not too certain whether the songs are available on Spotify. 
I think following the um, Neil Young pulling his stuff off because of uh, Josh Rogan, his uh, COVID comments, I think uh, David Crosby followed in the same footsteps, although I think selling the rights to his records kind of limited the amount of songs he could restrict on Spotify. Anyway, do check out, I think they remastered it in 2021, or released it again. Um, yeah, If I Could Only Remember My Name by David Crosby. I read the news today, oh boy. A man has been praised for the petty revenge he took on the little punks who kept targeting his letterbox in an act of mindless vandalism. He explained how he would go out to collect his letters only to discover a huge dint in the side of his letterbox, sometimes making it difficult to open. Wanting to get his own back on the vandals in his neighbourhood, he placed a tube inside his letterbox so the postal workers could deliver his letters as normal, but then filled the surrounding space with concrete to make it almost impossible to dint out of shape. Sharing his petty revenge on Reddit, he said, let's see how you little punks smash my letterbox now. While most users couldn't help but laugh at his ingenious plan, others share the thought for the ob oblivious victim who next tries to smash it with their fist or foot. One user said, You can see the concrete is cracked next to the dent. It seems like they did indeed hit it one last time. Another user added, I hit some mailboxes in high school. I got community service and wrote letters of apology. Still feel bad about it, but I did learn how wrong it was. A third user said, the funniest part is the single dent. Tried it one last time, did they? Great Scott! An 82-year-old woman was pronounced dead at a New York nursing home, but found to be breathing three hours later at the funeral home where she had been taken, authorities said. The woman was pronounced dead at Water's Edge Rehab and Nursing Centre at Port Jefferson on Long Island on Saturday, Suffolk County Police said. The woman, whose name was not released, was taken to the O.B. Davies funeral homes in Miller Place, said the police in a news release. She was discovered breathing at 2.09pm, they said. The woman was taken to a hospital. No update on her condition was available on Monday. The apparent premature declaration of death occurred days after a continuing care home in Iowa was fined $10,000 over a similar incident. Authorities in Iowa said the 66-year-old woman was declared dead on January the 3rd at the Glen Oaks Alzheimer's Special Care Center in Urbanland, where she was receiving hospice care. The woman was placed in a body bag and taken to the Ankeri Funeral Home and Crematorium, where workers found that she was breathing and called 911. She was returned to hospice care where she died on January the 5th, probably of shock, according to a report issued last week by the Iowa Department of Inspection and Appeals. The New York case has been referred to the State Attorney General Office for investigation, police said. Officials at the funeral home told Rob's records, Out of respect for the privacy and confidentiality of the families, we are honoured to serve. We are not in a position to comment further on this matter. Great Scott! When you're in a long-term relationship or marriage, you may become more comfortable with your partner than you probably like to admit. For some, habits like farting or burping become the norm. One woman recently confessed that she accidentally farted in front of her husband once throughout their nine-year relationship. The man, who wasn't a fan of flatulent, reacted harshly, claiming that the slip-up slip was obviously revolting. 
While she and her husband of six years are open with each other most of the time, the woman admitted that the couple have opposing views on farting around each other. While other people have a more laid-back approach to flatulence, the woman claimed that her husband has never farted nor burped in front of her due to his strong opinions. She also explained that her husband's view on farting or burping aren't new issues. After he witnessed a woman in the pub letting out a huge beer burp, he was disgraced by her habits and claimed it was gross and uncouth during the hour walk home. From the start of their relationship, the woman claimed to have made a mental note to never slip up in front or fart in front of her partner after witnessing his strong thoughts on the topic. The anonymous woman told Kidspot, The worst flatulence scenario happened. I farted, and it wasn't a small or inoffensive smelling one either. In fact, it was probably one I'd be embarrassed about even if I was alone in the toilet. The woman was horrified after realising that her husband had witnessed the incident instantly pulling a disgusted expression. She said, Horrifyingly, I wasn't alone in the toilet. I was laying in bed next to my wide awake husband who has now turned to look at me with the most disgusted expression on his face that I had ever seen. That is obviously revolting, he said to me. Farting is the most unladylike thing a woman can do, especially in front of her husband, he continued, turning away from me, revolted. Just one sec. So delving into my record collection, this shows Rob's records. Clearly, it's my podcast, my name's Rob and these are my records. I've chosen Femme Fatale by the Velvet Underground. It was a B-side to the December 1966 release, Sunday Morning, and it was recorded in April 1966 and was written by Lou Reed. It's a story, actually, I think, about... um, Well, I know. I've looked it up. It was a story about Edie Sedgsmith, who was a Warhol superstar, and it was written at the request of Andy Warhol to write the song. So just a little bit about her. Her name was Edith Midturn Sedgwick Post. She was born on April 20th, 1943, and died November 16th, 1971. She was an American actress and fashion model known for being one of Andy Warhol's superstars, becoming known as the Girl of the Year in 1965 after starring in several of Warhol's short films in the 60s. She was dubbed an It Girl, while Vogue magazine also named her as a Youth Quaker, whatever that means. Sedgwick broke with Warhol in 1966 and attempted to forge an independent acting career. However, her mental health deteriorated from drug abuse and she struggled to complete the semi-autobiographical film Chow Manhattan. She gave up drugs and alcohol after meeting her future husband Michael Post and completed filming Chow Manhattan in early 1971. Post and Sedgwick married in July 1971 and she died four months later of an overdose at the age of 28. So this song as I said, it was released as a single in December 66 and it was released on the Velvet Underground and Nico album in March 1967 and has been described as a beautiful song that portrays the vivid, conflicted and emotional undercurrents of 1966. I don't know too much about 1966. I know that's when they released uh, Rubber Soul and uh, Revolver, Rubber Soul and Revolver by the Beatles. The Rolling Stones released a few and obviously great year for English football. Now, the album, as I said, was released in uh, March 1967. Now, when do you think about 1967 as a year? Everybody who 
in the music industry, well, everybody goes on about Sgt. Pepper's Being. Such a wonderful album, you know, it's the first concept album, you know, it, it, it blew everybody's mind, basically, especially like a day in the life. But I don't think enough is said about this album. You know, if you think about it, it was recorded in like April 1966. So a year before all of this kind of stuff kicked off. And when you listen to it today, it still sounds like really raw and it's almost kind of a bit punky or I don't know, listen to the album, make your own minds up. I don't want to see, you know, type it is a, you know, a certain type of album, but I think it's, you know, absolutely amazing in terms of, I mean, it opens with Sunday morning. It's got heroin on the song, on the album. It's got Venus in furs. It's you know, all tomorrow's parties. I'll be your mirror. Yeah, another wonderful song. So in terms of, you know, listen, listening to it, I, I, I think originally I got into the Velvet Underground via the Oliver Stone movie, The Doors. And there's the song Heroin in there. And obviously that was on the soundtrack album, which I brought, or my brother brought, bought. And I didn't really get too much into them. I think it was the Train Spotting album, which had Perfect Day on by Lou Reed. And then from that, there was the Best of Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground CD, which I bought from Prism Leisure. So it starts off with the Velvet Underground stuff, goes into the solo bits and pieces of Lou Reed, where he does some obviously reworkings of some of the uh, Velvet Underground stuff. And it was listening to the best of that then kind of led me to listen to like most greatest hits. I don't know if it works for you, but you listen to a greatest hits and then that's the kind of catalyst, the, the, the springboard to then go and seek out the other albums. Sometimes you just think, God oh, blimey, the greatest hits is the best kind of album that they could release. A bit like Queen, in my opinion. I think Greatest Hits by Queen is a brilliant album. I can't listen to any of their solo albums in its entirety, because I think there's a lot of crap that they did and I think they are a mediocre band. I think they're good hit writers. But anyway, that's Queen. I'm not gonna do a show on Queen at some point in the future to elaborate on well, any of those things. So yeah, the Velvet Underground, I think the next few albums after that, uh, Lou Reed, I think Loaded was the last proper, I say proper album. Um, for me anyway, it's a bit like when The Doors died. Oh, sorry, when, when Jim Morrison died, The Doors then released two albums after that, and I don't consider them to be Doors albums, you know? I don't think Robbie Krieger or Ray Manzurek were particularly very good singers. Similar to with The Velvet Underground, I think, I don't know, when Lou Reed left, I think it just lost that that edge. You could, you could argue, you know, when John Cale left, whether, you know, it was still The, uh, the Velvet Underground, but nevertheless, I loved the uh, the Velvet Underground, and then I f kind of felt the first two albums by Lou Reed. So it's Lou Reed, Lou Reed, self-titled first album, a solo album, sorry, and then Transformer again, brilliant album. Do check them out. I'm no doubt we'll review these at a later point because I have them on a vinyl. So yes, without going any more into this, here's the song Femme Fatale. It was covered by REM. Not brilliantly, I don't think, but again, it's again, you, you want to listen to the, you know, different versions of these songs. I think, you know, go ahead and do it because sometimes you can listen to a cover version that's better than the original. I mean, just listen to Dylan for Christ's sake. So, yeah, here's the Velvet Underground Femme Fatale from my record collection. Mm -hmm. 
clan Cause everybody knows The thing she does to please She's just a little tease See the way she segment of the show is something that I like to, well originally I was going to call it new pro, news, music profile, but instead I think what I'm going to call it is like Rob's Wikipedia rip-offs, because what I've done is I've thought about a band that I really like I've got album in my record collection, and I want to provide you guys and girls or they, thems, he, shims I want to provide you with information into a little bit of background into some of the songs or the albums, the artists that we're uh, that I'm playing you, and hopefully, you know, you may have heard them before, you may not have, and you may want to to seek them out. So the first uh, group uh, this time is um, for the first show, the the pilots, as it were, is Mazzy Star. Um, Again, this is like, a, I think the first song I heard was when I was, I think I was 15 or 16, and it was Fade Into You by Mazzy Starr. Such a beautiful song. And I was just, I, I, I was blown away by Hope Sandoval's voice. I, I, it's just, you know, I think it's called Dreamy Pop. I think there are playlists that you can get on uh, Spotify. I'd check out Mazzy Starr's albums first. It's, just, I think they're head and shoulders above all the rest. So anyway, if you're sitting uh, comfortably, I'm just going to rip off all the stuff from Wikipedia. I've selected some other bits they do elaborate. Yeah, they go on into too much detail. So I'm reading it so you don't have to. You can just sit back, relax, listen to it, and then I'll play you one of their songs afterwards. And I'll tell you a little bit about why I've chosen Mazzy Star and the song at the end of this. So yes pull up a chair or whatever you feel comfortable to sit on could be a small child maybe or a very fat dog Mazzy Star is an American alternative rock band formed in 1988 Mazzy Star has deep roots within the Californian Paisley underground movement of the early 1980s David Roback along with his brother Stephen 
was one of the main architects of leading Los Angeles psychedelic revival band Rain Parade. Leaving that band after their first LP, he founded Clay Allison in 1983 with then-girlfriend extreme syndicate bassist Kendra Smith. Soon after the publication of their soul release, the 1983 AA-sided single Fell From The Sun and All Souls, Clay Allison renamed themselves Opal and released the LP Happy Nightmare Baby on SST on December 14, 1987. With Roback as its musical catalyst, Opal were a direct precursor to Mazzy Star musically, often featuring the same psychedelic guitar drones and similar hints of blues and folk that would later appear on Mazzy's, Mazzy Star recordings. Meanwhile, Sandoval, who was in high school at the time, formed the folk music duo Going Home in the early 1980s with fellow student Sylvia Gomez and played gigs with Sonic Youth and Minutemen. Both were devoted followers of the Rain Parade and after the, a 1983 concert by the band in Los Angeles area, Gomez entered the backstage area of the venue and gave Roback a copy of Going Home's demo tape featuring Sandoval on vocals and Gomez on guitar. Upon hearing the tape, Roback offered to produce a still unreleased album by the pair. When Smith left Opal under cloudy circumstances in the middle of a tour supporting the Jesus and Mary chain, Sandoval was tapped as her replacement. Despite Smith's departure, Rough Trade's records retained Roback's original record deal, contractually obli obligating him to supply a follow-up to Opal's debut LP. As a result, Roback and Sandoval continued to tour under the Opal alias for the next two years, during which time they completed production on Opal's planned second album titled Ghost Highway. Composed mainly of songs written by Roback and Smith, Sandoval stated that she was unhappy with the material and expressed an interest in wanting to start something completely new. The pair quickly composed and recorded seven new tracks in High Street Studios in San Francisco and renamed the band Mazzy Star. Written over a year before Mazzy Star's inception, the track Ghost Highway is the band's only original song not to feature a writing credit from Sandoval, whilst another song, Give, Me Your, Give You My Lovin', was written by going home guitarist Sylvia Gomez and first recorded by Sandoval and Gomez in the mid-1980s. She Hangs Brightly, the first album, was released in May 1990 on Rough Trade, and although it was not an immediate commercial success, the album established the duo as a recurrent fixture of alternative rock radio with lead single Blue Flower, a cover of Slap Happy Track, peaking at number 29 on Billboard's Modern Rock Tracks charts. The album would go on to sell over 70,000 copies in the UK. The American branch of Rough Trades folded in late 1990, briefly leaving Mazzy Star without a record label. Within weeks, the duo's contract was picked up by Capitol, who re-released She Hangs Brightly in November 1990 and released their follow-up, So Tonight That I Might See, on September 27, 1993. A year after its release, the album yielded an unexpected hit single, Fade Into You, that peaked at number 44 to become their first Billboard Hot 100 single, while also reaching a career-high peak of number 3 on the Modern Rock Tracks chart. On April 19, 1995, the album was certified platinum for shipments in excess of 1 million units. The album also peaked at number 68 in the UK and was certified silver in July 2013 for sales over 60,000 copies. Following the success of Fade Into You, She Hangs Brightly album opener Hala began to receive heavy airplay in the US and peaked at number 19 on the Billboard's Modern Rock Tracks chart 
a chart based solely on airplay. Their final album for Capital, Among My Swan, was released in October 1996, entering the Billboard 200 at number 68, and as of September 2001, selling 214,000 copies in the United States. The band promoted the album with a five-month tour of the US and Europe, after which Sandoval and Robat began to work on new material. Over the course of these sessions, Sandoval reportedly begged Capital to be released from her contract, Lating elaborating, it seems record companies wanted bands to be creative because they didn't know how to manufacture underground music. We could do our own thing and go at our own pace, but that changed when major labels started wanting bands that would sell 7 million records. They had a formula. And suddenly all these people wanted to come to the studio to keep track of what we were doing and make sure we were following that formula. So we got out. In June 2000, the band reunited for a mini-tour of Europe, performing up to seven new songs at each of their concerts. Sandoval revealed in interviews around this time that these new songs were written and recorded for Mazzy Star's fourth studio album, which was to be released independently sometime in the future. Fast forward to October 2011, and Hope Sandoval's official website confirmed the duo would release their first art material in 15 years later that same month. The band completed an 18-date Californian and European tour in 2012, the first, their first since 2000, performing at several major European festivals. The band consisted of original members Suki Ewers and Keith Mitchell. I know a Keith Mitchell. And were also joined by Sandoval's Warm Inventions bandmate Colm or Koisoig, whoever that is, and Keith Mitchell's son Paul, whose band The Brooklyn Catastrophe Catastrophe also served as the opening act of the select shows. On July 2013, the band announced details of their fourth album, Seasons of Your Day, which was released in September 2013, both in the UK and the US. The album reached a career high at number 24 in the UK albums charts, and the, began, and the band began a North American tour in November 2013. In June 2018, the band reunited for their first concerts in five years, performing three consecutive nights at the Sydney Opera House as part of Vivid, Vivid Live. That same month, they released the EP Still. Dave Roback died on February 24, 2020 of cancer. And that is where the story of Mazzy Star ends. So the song, sorry, a bit long. Maybe I'll trim it down for the next one. you got to forgive me. It's the first one I've done, right? So <clears throat> the song that I've chosen for to, to play you, to introduce you to Mazzy Star, was mentioned at the very beginning, uh, the uh, bit, the Wikipedia ripoff. And it's a song that, that was actually a cover, which I didn't realise, and it's a song called Blue Flower. And the reason I like this song so much is that it really reminds me of I'll Be Your Mirror of by the Velvet Underground. So there's a little bit of homework for you. After listening to this podcast, check out I'll Be Your Mirror. See if you think there's any kind of a comparisons. It probably is to do with the kind of uh, the guitar uh, sound. Not the guitar sound, the, uh, the guitar opening, perhaps, and the uh, guitar solo. I think there's a uh, slight, slight crossover. So yes, that's the first music profile, Wikipedia ripoff. I think I'm going to come up with a better name by the next show.
Blue Flower, Azzy Star, as I said. But why are singles under three minutes? I know I mentioned it at the start of the next show. Don't know if that song was under three minutes. I don't think it is. But anyway, uh, this is that's my loose link into the, the next segment. So why are singles under three minutes? So the custom dates back, apparently, to the early 20th, 20th century when shellac records were first appeared in the market. And the, the rates in which these records span, as you know from one of my earlier shows, was 78 revolutions per minute. And this became the norm. And the most popular record size at that time was 10 inches. And so you could probably get about three minutes of music per side. And the 12 inch records probably held about four to, to five minutes. And um, so to get music stations to broadcast their music and get people to buy it, musicians pretty much had to accommodate to those, those limits. Again, from the earlier show, you'll know that the late 1940s saw the birth of the 45 RPM record, a smaller, cheaper disc made of vinyl that could manage much more than three minutes of music per side. And then obviously you've got the long playing records and so on. So there are exceptions to the rules of releasing singles, which are, say, three minutes and under. You mean like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan, which I think was split into two. So you had an A and a B side, which slightly odd to do that at the time especially when you think about hey jude they didn't do that and really is it a really long song hey jude because when you think about it most i mean half of the song or over half the songs just them going na 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 there's another one as well i think it was uh, heroes by david bowie on his album it was like six, a full six minutes but then they shortened it down to get radio stations to play it so as music technology evolved over the years, from records to cassettes, to cassette tapes to CDs, three minutes didn't fall out of fashion as the de facto estimate for pop songs. According to Classic FM, this is partly because radio stations could fit more commercials into a programme if the song stayed relatively short. Record labels may have favoured shorter singles too, since longer songs didn't mean fatter royalty checks. It's also likely that pop music listeners just preferred concision. After all, it's what the last several decades had taught them to expect. As Thomas Tierney, director of Sony Music Archives Library, said, it's embedded in our DNA. So the current digital music landscape seems more conductive to longer pop songs than anything that came before it. For one, there aren't so many physical restrictions to account for, like, say, the size of a record. And with millions of people, say, streaming stuff on uh, Spotify, Apple, or you know, people hearing them on TikTok, Tic-toe? That's my version. Radio is no, really no longer the only vehicle for catapulting musicians to mainstream success. I mean, you think about um, the Arctic Monkeys, how they came about. I think it was YouTube. They threw up a lot of stuff on there. And then from that, they got a record deal or something like that. And then they released their album. It could be that, yes, three minutes, it's that concision, precision, artistry to write a song in two minutes is probably harder to write a song than say in five minutes plus you could also say that shorter attention pass shorter attention spans it's easy for me to say shorter attention spans of you know youngsters now the, the main people who buy singles or listen to singles and obviously social media's influence might explain the, the trend maybe but Instead of getting paid by physical sales, you're getting paid in streams, which only counts if someone listens to 30 seconds of a song. 
So it actually makes sense if you can have more songs streamed at a time, which means that you want to pack your albums full of much shorter songs. So in other words, success is less about what sales is less about sales and more about the number of streams in today's kind of money. So today's pop stars are making music that reflects that shift, not unlike how 20th century musicians learned to work within the confines of the original three-ish music limit. So I hope that's described to you what you uh, thought the reason for that is. I'll tell you what song isn't under three minutes, or it was three minutes long and was a hit for this band is the next song in this segment that I like to call Previous listeners to the show will understand that I paid the last five seconds of the song twice just to kind of give you time to to think about it I sometimes throw in a clue here and there um, and then I'll play you the song afterwards so welcome to the show if you are new um, so do have a guess, have a have a go. As a, as a clue, I f- can probably say to you that the ending of this song sounds very much like the beginning of the song. So yes, let's hear it, shall we? Let's hear the last five seconds. Ooh, now let's think. If we were to put that at the start of the song, how would that go? Let's have a listen again and think about how that song would maybe go into it. Did you get it?
It was the Black Crow's song called Remedy, which was released on the 20th of April 1992. Reached number 48 in the US Billboard and 24 in the UK Singles Chart. Chris Robinson, who co-wrote the song, said Remedy is a song about freedom, written as a response to the war on drugs, which he considered silly. That's the war on drugs, not the song. So yes, bit of a long show, isn't it? This one with all these long songs. Sorry about that. Maybe should keep it shorter. The last show, I talked about remastered albums, reissues. I mean, obviously, I talked about the Revolver. Did Good Day Sunshine. Also mentioned about Pink Floyd's 50th anniversary release, the 2023 remix of Dark Side of the Moon. Since since that show. There's been two songs from the album dropped into Spotify, dropped on Spotify, dropped in, dropped on, released 
on Spotify. Uh, the first one was Breathe, and most recently was Great Gig in the Sky. So I've had a little listen. Um, couldn't really tell the difference. So then I thought, well, what do I normally do when I kind of think about these two things? And I've got an old version of it, the 2011 Immersion version, remastered, that's the Immersion version. And then obviously I've now got hold of the 2023. So what I've done is, similar to what I've done in other shows, is I've got the two tracks, synced them together, for the first 30 seconds is the 2011 version and then from 30 to one minute so every 30 seconds you've got the 2023 so that all goes up until two minutes 30 and then every five seconds so at 2.30 it starts on the 2023 at 2.35 it's the 2011 2.40 is the 2023 version etc so you get that for a little bit until 3.30 in the song where the song finishes with the 2011 version to fade out and play the rest of the song. So I'll play that for you next and then I'll say Toodle Pip. But just before I go, there are a couple of things to remind you about. There is the Facebook page, which is Rob's Records. You'll see the logo if you just do a little search. Give it a like. I post up a little when the, uh, the shows are going to be released. There's Rob's Records podcast. Or Rob's Records Pod. I can't remember the name of my own bloody thing. Anyway, they are all available if you look on Linktree. Linktree, Rob's Records. And so um, it gives you links to how to stream it. There's going to be a few, uh, I think, the Instagram page. And also, there will be a shop soon where I'll be throwing some t shirt designs up should you wish to purchase them. And before I go, Two things. The Live at Wembley album, which they're releasing independently, separate, so separately from the uh, 50th anniversary of Dark Side of the Moon, is only now just over 16 quid on Amazon. So if you're interested in it, maybe give it a purchase. Um, next show, I'll probably I'll, I'll be talking to you about the Humble Cassette Tape. Don't really get too much about it now, do you? There was a Walkman. Sony have released another Walkman, like 200 quid. It's like, what on earth? I mean, I'd, I don't even have any cassettes. The cassettes I did have, I stored in my, I stored in my attic. And that's where the temperature fluctuated from kind of like 40 degrees to minus whatever it is. So when I borrowed a cassette tape from someone at work well, a few years back, I tried to listen to them and they were all just like really wishy-washy. So luckily it wasn't anything too exciting. They were just, I think, mixtapes that I'd made. So. I will be creating a mixtape a mixtape specifically for the next podcast. And incidentally, if you do like the music on the show, it is available if you search for Rob's Records on Spotify. So give it a like. Every time I finish the show, I whack up the songs on there. So, uh, so they listen to my voice and trying to fast forward it to precisely when the music comes in. You can just whack this on and... Uh, enjoy the music that i've been playing you yes thanks again for listening do tell your mates if you got any um yeah send us a message if there's any records you want me to play i am as i say on instagram or you can send me a message on facebook if there's any particular album that you want me to have a listen to or song as long as it's not queen so yes here is the great gig in the sky 
I'll let you have a, a little listen, see how you go. So every 30 seconds, as I was saying, there are, slight, there are little, little ticks occasionally just to help you with uh, distinguishing when the, the things do change to see if you can uh, hear any difference. But I couldn't, and um, I won't be buying it. Until next time, see you later. Bye-bye.
Blessed.